0: night hey hey
1: hey we're on the air you can't say mean things about me anymore oh. what would the fans <laughs> say?
0: says huh, who? you're not
1: supposed to laugh at this you're supposed grandpa to be like oh, walt,
0: so he likes it best when i mean to you
1: he would but he's mean i think That's it's the short syndrome. gravity just me. gravity's just meaner to him because he's shorter
0: no but, but we anyway. are not here to argue about how much grandpa walt loves me over you we are here we're- a wonderful
1: guest. All right. So, hey, all you crazy okay. sci fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. And everyone knows pineapple does not belong on pizza. So, without further ado, Mr. JC Kong, can you introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers? Wait, yours?
2: wait. Pineapple doesn't belong on pizza? I don't no, think that's on my not podcast. Belong.
0: I keep saying it belongs on pizza. You're in the right podcast. Okay. See, okay. There. Wait, wait, wait.
1: We've got more heretics coming up. Doc, are you like plotting some sort of pineapple revolution?
0: No, actually, I don't need to plot some pineapple resolution. Resolu- it already happened.
2: To be honest, I don't actually like pineapple on pizza. My daughter does, though.
1: <laughs> you want to know a dirty little secret just between you and me and the 12 people listening? I don't have a strong opinion, but it's fun to give people a hard time. <laughs> And unlike, like, the rest of the world going on, it's not something people are going to, like, hunt you down and murder your firstborn over.
2: Right. It's like saying that Nickelback sucks, you know, that it's not going to offend everyone and everyone
0: laugh at it. Yeah. I think even Nickelback fans understand that Nickelback sucks. They still like it anyway.
1: They just accept that they're the punching bag and it's just their lot in life. It's sort of like being a Cleveland Browns fan. You just get used to being the butt of the joke.
2: Wait, are you a Cleveland Browns fan?
1: No, I am not, but okay. i made fun of them. I was definitely <laughs> on the
2: wrong podcast.
1: <laughs> all right. So the next part of the, oh, did we let him introduce himself? No, we no, did we, not. We were too busy talking about pineapples.
2: Well, well, clearly I like pineapples, but not on pizza. And I'm not a Cleveland Browns fan, nor Nickelback fan. So I think that's all you really need to know about me. No. Oh. <laughs> I am an independently published fantasy author specializing mostly in Asian-themed fantasy. Um, my Dragon Song Saga was probably the best. It's, if you know me, you that's probably why it sold about seventy hey. copies. Um, and yeah, that's about all I can say about myself. Oh, I have a dog.
1: I do too. Oh, see, we we like them for a reason. All right, dear listener, the next part of this introduction is how we first found uh, the author. And I was told by Doc, be here and talk books. So I'd be here and we talk books. So Doc, how did you first find Mr. J.C. Kong?
0: Well, I reached out to a mutual acquaintance, Bryce O'Connor, who we've had on the show, and said, hey, we would love to have some new authors um, that I don't already know. And to intersperse, so not everybody feels like this is the Friends of Sesco's podcast. (laughs) <laughs> um and he went out and asked and jc emailed which was to me i hate emailing people i don't already know so i always give people mad props when they blind email somebody like well, because you were not a
2: marketer like i was
0: see you never know
1: so this means that the the for the first time i think and as long as podcast memory goes this is not someone you met at a bar is this progress, Doc? Are we are we making headway into your addiction problem?
2: We can meet at a bar in the future, and then we can solve
0: that. There we go. We can solve that.
1: All right, that works. <laughs> All right. Doc, we get to see if he gets to stay, although he likes pineapple on pizza, so I doubt you're gonna hit the kick button. But All right, I did not pineapple. like pineapple and pizza. That's my
2: daughter. <laughs> and my dog. I'm sure my dog would not care if he got if pineapple and pizza fell on the floor. He would
1: eat it.
0: If your dog is like <laughs> my dog, he a pizza slut. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you ready, Doc? Yes.
1: The, the religion questions we have to decide
0: oh yes sorry i thought you were trying to ask those this time star wars star trek or firefly pick one that's a
2: hard one for me because i both love star wars and star trek firefly i actually didn't get out of the first episode so i'm, I'm probably one of those people who will get cast out by your fandom there your fan your, your listeners oh. um but I would have to go with Star Wars just because there is the element of the Force, and, I, and I, I love the Force. If I had to choose one, I had to
1: choose one. Okay, well, before we decide how we feel about the Firefly incident, did you watch it when it was on television, or did you watch it after the fact?
2: I watched it after the fact when everyone was raving about how awesome it was and how there needed to be another season and all that fun stuff.
1: So did you actually watch the first episode or the first one that aired on television? Because they aired them out of order, and that was part of the problem. Uh,
2: I, I I think it was Netflix and whatever was episode one is whatever I watched. It looked like it was it was a new episode. Or it looked like it was the first episode.
1: Okay, fair. You couldn't get in. So, are you
2: are you not a fan of westerns either? I'm actually reading this book called A Thousand Crimes of Su, which is about a Chinese guy in the West, it's a western starring a Chinese guy um, who's out for revenge. And um, I I have liked some westerns, but I'm not a I'm not a huge fan
0: audio actually audible picked that over and told me that I should check it out so i'm listening to an
2: audible and the narrator theodore chin is a is a acquaintance of mine really great guy very funny guy and the narration is brilliant
0: i love i listened to an audio clip so it's in my my wish list to get to and the audio was great cuz sometimes i i'll pick up a narrator and i'm like ah, nope so but he he had a good voice so um now on to the fantasy one Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, or The Witcher.
2: So that's Game of Thrones all the way. Um, and I say this because Lord of the Rings, I—that's my introduction to fantasy as literature. And as a child, my in my imagination, the characters look different. I can see everything a lot um, more differently, basically based on my, my imagination. The movies didn't weren't as good as my imagination. So I will have to go with Game of Thrones, which I just absolutely love, except I wish season seven and eight never happened.
1: Those were just fandom. That's like fan They didn't really
2: happen. Yeah. It's like kind of like J.J. Abrams. He can not still not stick a landing, which is one of the reasons why I'm not... A, I mean, I guess he's kind of ruined Star Wars and Star Trek for me.
1: Yeah, um, but anyway. We give him time and he can destroy the whole sci-fi fandom Enterprise. Like they, no, I mean,
0: that's, why I like do next? that's why I like books. That's why I
2: like books. It's amazing how you say destroy Enterprise because, I mean, essentially... Every, Every one of the reboots, the Enterprise gets destroyed. <laughs> <this is laughs> right? <true. laughs> just like, oh, JJ. I mean, he basically, he sacrifices story in favor of lens flares and visual effects. So, Which
1: is ironic that you talk about the Enterprise because uh, Shatner just had the picture of him in his, in his SpaceX <laughs> uniform standing next to uh, the regular astronauts wearing red. And I'm like, oh, uh, guys. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I hope the astronauts are smart enough to understand that was a bad idea. Um, or maybe
1: they did it on purpose. That could be an inside joke. That's a, exact
0: exactly I it. I don't know. But we now get to ask you some questions about you. Um, so as we love both sci-fi and fantasy, which was your first love? Sci-fi or fantasy?
2: Fantasy. And that's when I was basically about four years old. My older brother read The Chronicles of Narnia to me and then The Hobbit. And so, yeah. My gateway to fantasy was Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe. Nice. First love. Always
1: the strongest.
0: Oh no. Uh, so I definitely get that.
1: Was the uh, Lion and the Witch did you so you talked about your brother reading you fantasy and that was your first literary engagement. Do you have any memories before that of like television or games or anything that were exposed to the genres?
2: No, I must have been four years old at the time. And we had a lot of great, you know, fantasy sci-fi at the time. And once again, four years old, I was. You know, we had three channels on TV, and I came from a Chinese family where we never go in to go see movies. The idea of a, you know, VCR. We didn't have VCRs back then. Back in my day, we didn't have VCRs.
1: We're almost <laughs> old so, enough to could skin in the lawn and shake our fists at the sky and tell the kids to leave.
0: I just grew up in a very hyperactive family, so nobody would have wanted us in the movie theater, anyways, if we went. So I saw Star
2: Wars in 1978, like right after it came out. You know, they used to do they used to have second runs in the theaters, and they would run yeah. Star Wars over and over again. So I did not see Star Wars, the first A New Hope, and it wasn't called A New Hope um, when it was first in the theaters. But then every I've single Star, Star Wars movie after that, I've seen on opening day.
1: Nice. So, nice. Okay. So what is it about speculative fiction as a genre that you love?
2: Oh, just that, you know, you can broaden your horizons. It's a completely new um, setting. It's, a, it's basically this, wow, I'm so flabbergasted by that question. You wouldn't think I would have read it already. <laughs> but the basic idea, being it's, it's, it's just new. It's, it has new concepts, new ideas, things to make you think.
1: Okay. And eye candy. That's true, too. <laughs> I, as, I, I mean, Eye
2: Candy is in like settings and visual. I wasn't talking about like beautiful princesses. No, 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 but no. They, no. Have those seen, they have those too.
0: I've seen I've art and photographs of places and been like, there needs to be a sci-fi, a fantasy story right mm-hmm. there.
1: I mean, totally. we're, we're, men of a certain age will recognize that, you know, like Xeno Warrior Princess, Princess Leia, like they were they were our first uh, crushes. So I get it. I can't. I, so,
2: I, yeah, I think Xeno was probably, I, I didn't, that I'd never watched Xena. I think that was after my, my formative years. But Princess Leia, definitely. Princess Leia and Wonder Woman. So there's a super hot hero genre as well. So yeah. uh, Linda Carter and and uh and uh, Wonder Woman was probably my first crush as a as a kid.
0: Okay. They're they're so, very trustworthy. Yeah. So I, I can understand that. You know, so there's smart, it, powerful women.
1: The cool thing is now <laughs> we're on a in an era where you're seeing fantasy and and sci-fi coming out that isn't so eurocentric which gives us like new ideas and new stereotypes and tropes and and archetypes of characters to play with which is kind of cool
0: well i think it's also just revitalized higher genre in some ways like we were talking about epic fantasy and i got so used to it being eurocentric that i got bored with it until i came across some that wasn't and i was like oh i like this
2: we are truly entering the golden age i believe and part of that i I would say, is fueled by self-publishing.
0: Oh, um, most, most of
2: the fantasy books, that is the Asian-themed fantasy books at least, that came out prior to 2010 were mostly Caucasian authors. And there were just like a little bit of experiments. And, there, and a lot of them are great. I'm not, there's nothing wrong with a Caucasian author writing writing uh, Asian, Asian-themed Asian fantasy. But starting in about 2014, um, you do see some Asian authors who are putting out like own voices YA fantasy. Mm-hmm. But none of them really took off. Um, but then all of a sudden, probably like 2016, you start seeing a lot of self-published authors put out Asian fantasies and it just explodes. And by 2018, you have like the Poppy War, you have Jade Jade City and a bunch of other huge novels that are just really fu- uh, reinvigorating the the, the genre. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to take my phone down
1: here for a second. Please.
2: So we have, I don't know, what, I can't even see what I'm showing here.
0: Yes, the, I know it's Shard, like Shard and... I have that book. Yeah, I have several of those books. I have a disturbingly large collection of books.
1: So, the other cool thing is, in addition to what you're talking about, where we're authors that are from those cultures writing it in English, you also have translations from other countries coming. Like, I think I can't pronounce the guy's name, so I won't try, but The Three Body Problem, the sci fi novel that came over from, from China. Um, and like, that's cool too, because in the because most Europeans only speak, or at least in America, we tend to be single language peoples. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not so the Europeans; planet.
2: they speak three to five languages. Right, so, so, so you don't get areas. exposed
1: to books in other languages unless you're taking it in college. Yeah. So I think we're getting with the translation ability that you're seeing more of, and how easy that is to do. You're getting more exposure as well to other ideas.
0: But I think also with some of that is we're getting, and and I've seen it with anime a lot. We're getting more authentic to story translations for people who they understand, they truly understand both languages. So they're not just picking the right word, they're picking the word that matches the original context. You're you're muted, sir. What?
2: Oh, I was going to say yes, that um, I I actually was a French French major. I'm kind of embarrassed to say, but not because French isn't bad, but because I can't speak French anymore.
0: Great wine. Great (laughs) food and good wine. But I
2: took a class on translation and they said there's denotation and connotation. Actually, that was I say in French was denotation and connotation. And so there's a word which has like the meaning, but then there's the connotation, which has not just the meaning, but the feeling of the word as well. And so, yeah, really Mm -hmm. good translations can grasp that. And I was talking, you're talking about three body uh, problem with and that's translated by Ken Liu. And I hung out with Ken Liu one time. And he was talking about how translation is not just about getting the word, but the meaning and the feeling as well. And so I think he hit it right on the head.
0: So one of my favorite stories, and this is a little off topic, but it's a quick one and it's funny. Um, My parents were trying to explain to me this when I was in high school or junior high. And we have lived in Saudi Arabia. The king of Saudi Arabia is also known as the custodian or guardian of Mecca. (laughs) And the local newspaper <laughs> accidentally translated it. They had a new guy who translated it as the janitor of Mecca.
2: Yeah, I can see that was where I was headed.
0: <laughs> and, it, it, and it was in print. So it really, that really was the, just a great, funny example of making sure you're putting the right word the right situation, not just the word that acts the literal translation. It makes that you same. wonder if
2: Daenerys got all her titles correct when she was speaking in Dothraki.
1: Mm.
2: Anyway, mm-hmm. things I, I think
0: about. But that's a made-up language, I thought.
1: So That could be an interesting panel, talk, Doc. We'll revisit the idea of made-up <laughs> languages that are actually functional languages, because I know like, there's something on in Elvish, and we're going to have to revisit this. You and I are talking, but we're here to introduce JC. So, How does your love <laughs> of speculative fiction as a genre translate into you writing stories in this space?
2: Well... Uh... Basically, I think that whatever we read or watch becomes an influence for us. So I think if you read my books, you'll say you'll see something like, oh, that kind of reminds me of Star Wars or, oh, that reminds me of Lord of the Rings. or That reminds me of the Game of Thrones. So, yeah, I think that all speculative fiction that an author or a creator consumes will find a way into their imagination to some degree.
1: Okay. We're all a product of the sum of our parts. I get that. So many authors let their uh, own real life experiences influence the sort of stories they tell. So were there any specific formidable moments that shaped you as a storyteller?
2: Well, I'm an acupuncturist and a Wing Chun teacher by trade. And so a lot of that ends up in my stories, Uh, martial arts, choreography, um, healing and acupuncture. A lot of that ends up into my stories. Cool. Cool.
0: I knew soldiers actually in the Army who had active on them, like by the Army.
1: Yeah. There's a, a, new tr- a new push with the VA to embrace alternative medicines. Uh, unfortunately, for a long time, we thought a pill was the solution to everything. And uh, that's just not working quite as well as they would hope. It, so, yeah, the
2: VA refers to us, and then we, you know, patients of the VA who come to us can get like certain, basically, it's paid by the VA. But there's a lot of administrative, bureaucratic. Criminal, yes.
1: they uh they're starting to do that with with massages and yoga as well which is kind of cool but that's a that's a rant for another day i'll try, try not to go off too far because that's too regionally lost but doc get to talk about fandom now so try to contain your enthusiasm
0: i know right so have you had any cool fan art or cosplay of one of your characters yet
2: fan art yes i had someone who sent me a picture of uh Tia, who is like the secondary character in Songs of Instruction, but she's like in the, one of the main characters in all my all my series. And I actually decided that next time I went to Gen Con, I was gonna have my cousin who's read my book. She's like a lot younger than I am. Actually my cousin's daughter um, cosplay this character. <laughs> so that's an advertisement for my books.
0: You should totally do it because I've seen that work very well. And uh, when I, we this past Dragon Con, they did a page to stage costume contest and it was all literature based costumes so cool um so have you had somebody ask for your autograph at an event
2: at gen con yes i was i had a table there in 2019 supposed to have one in 2020 but we know what happened with that and uh yeah i was i was there and this guy came up saw my banner he's like his eyes went wide and covered his mouth He's like
1: oh my god it's jc king
2: um and he Came over, wanted to take a picture, wanted to have his autograph taken. I was like, this is pretty cool. This is like this is like mini startup.
0: That's awesome. So and then I actually important. had
2: another one. I was, now that I think about it, it was earlier this year. I was in um, our local convention. It's called Virginia Comic Con. And I, I went down and I just started talking to an author because I was looking at his books. And he said he was going to be at this convention coming up. I was like, oh, I'm probably going to be there too. Well, I, I will be there too. And he's like, oh, really? What are you? And I was like, an author. And he's like, oh, what's your name? And I said, my name. And he's like, oh, my God. So anyway, I've had two instances like that. So that was kind of cool.
0: That's awesome. And you know what? He's probably going back and going, he looked at my book. He looked at my book. Did he? It, or if you bought one, that you bought one. And bragging about that to all of his friends, because I've seen authors do that. It's adorable.
2: Yeah, so, actually, like, on my shelf here, I'd say about half of them are signed books by other authors that, I, that I've managed to snaggle.
0: I will say, I do have my own box of books that's like, remove in case of fire, get the child out, then take these books because they're signed. So I understand. But, I'm glad you put
2: the child ahead of your cycles.
0: I, I do.
1: Well, it depends on the day of the week and how he behaved that morning. Good and I'll be fair.
0: No. Oh, actually, I was going to say probably because I have I have one of them in a fire a box that's supposed to be a little more weather resistant and fire resistant. Um, but that's another story for another time. The so what is your weirdest or funniest interaction you've had with a fan since you started writing? Uh-oh. We lost him.
1: Uh-oh. He's Oops. back. He's back. He got too excited to hit the wrong button.
2: <laughs> yes, I am sorry.
0: It happened. So, what That's is your? Cloak, that was
2: the cloaking device. The
0: cloaking <laughs> device. You I like The sneaky and fidgety, I've heard. So, what is your funniest fan interaction or weirdest since you started writing?
2: That the one over our local convention would have to be it. The guy he wanted to take a picture and he just went crazy. So that that would probably be my my craziest fan fan
0: interaction. So. That's awesome. Okay,
1: and if you uh, if you want to give him more to talk about, dear listener, viewer, reader, whatever, uh, his links will be in the show notes. You could certainly reach out. I'm sure he would enjoy having you stalk him in all the appropriate ways.
2: Appropriate is the way to go. But yes, as authors, we love when, especially smaller authors, we love when when, when uh, readers reach out. So please do. All
1: right. So this is the part of the uh, the interview, JC, where you get to tell us everything you have written. So can you give us the reader's digest version of your bibliography?
2: Okay, so, well, since I'm here, I can show you my bookshelf, and I can, once again, since this is in reverse, I don't know if I'm getting all the right ones, but the Dragon Song Saga starts with Songs of Insurrection, right here, and then it continues with Orchestra of Treacheries and Symphony of Fates, basically 500,000 words. Uh, It also did really well as a single single product, which is this here. Oh, that's gorgeous. Yep. Uh, So that's like my main series. And then a lot of other ones come off of that. So Crown of the Sundered Empire. Actually, so Dragon Songs is about a young woman with a perfect voice to evoke the lost magic of Dragon Songs, only she doesn't have a teacher, so she has to figure it out herself. I've been going to conventions a lot, so I'm getting really to that pitch. Um, (laughs) This particular book is a military fantasy. It's about a boy who gets his eye gouged out. He pretends to be a diviner because he has mismatched eyes, pretending like he can see the future. But actually, he's just really smart. But then enemy army gouges his eye out, and it gets replaced by a glass eye that's possessed by a demon. And it helps him see weird stuff. And it whispers an unintelligible language in his his ear. Uh, Another one here is Masters of Deception. It is uh, basically there are a lot of different types of magic in this world. And they are strongest around. Pyramids, and every major culture has a pyramid in its lands, and so this is surrounds one of the pyramids. And four magic-using people who really don't like each other have to come together to save the world. And uh, the prequel series to the Dragon Song saga is, um, cre- or *Scions of the Black Lotus*. This is book one, *Thorn of the Night Blossoms*. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: the, if members of a, if members of, uh, <laughs> of a geisha had ninjas, and the stakes actually mattered. it's a courtesan spy story basically Cool. and i'm not saying
1: i like that i will uh now i'm curious are they out in audiobook because now i'm gonna have to look these up i've got two credits waiting
2: they are all out on audiobook and in fact you can get so uh this particular story here is six it's a novella but it's six novellas long as a complete series and it is available on audible for one credit all six in one package and also same as the dragon song saga they're available as a complete series for one credit all right, well, yeah.
1: I'm when we get off the air, don't spin it all in one place, okay?
2: <laughs> and actually, the last book I have, this is number, but this is Quantum Cultivation. So are you familiar with Will White's um, Cradle series?
1: I've heard of it, yeah. I haven't read it yet. but
2: his, um, his latest book just released on pre-order today, and I think it's at number four in the entire Amazon store. I mean, it's number one, it's just an amazing series. Um, and number two, it's highly popular. But it's the xianxia genre or cultivation genre. And so this particular story is a mashup of science fiction, or actually science fantasy, and progression dash cultivation fantasy. So imagine like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, in the future, or okay. so Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon beats Shadowrun. Um, so, so it's basically about a monk who has to fight um, cyborg assassins, super soldiers in power armor, and alien invaders.
1: So how family friendly are the are your series?
2: So let's see the main series dragon song saga is pretty pretty family friendly it's family friendly um master of deception is family friendly crown of sun Cent- and empire is also family friendly signs of the black lotus the prequel series is basically about courtesans and and glorified prostitution kind of like um Dart. start if you've read jacklyn uh, yes,
0: i've read that as a teenager uh-huh. my mother gave it to me
2: your mother gave it to you wow yes. did she know okay. what it
1: was
0: yeah, my mother had actually already read it, and a lot of times that was kind of my mom knew I was very shy about bringing approaching topics. So there were times mm-hmm. when my mother would give me a book, and then so that I would then talk to her about the topics in so it. With
1: psyops, I can dig it.
0: My it's My awesome book,
2: but it, there's there's BDSM in it. It's like there, Game of Thrones. There, there with there the-
0: so you know, my mom wanted me to figure out whether or not I what my preference gave me the Last Haralds before I started dating too. So I mean. Okay, I read Kashil's Bar more like 16, 17. I wasn't like 13.
1: I mean, I I feel like we're about to go into the Seska therapy hour and we don't want to do that. So let's get back to Mr.
0: Parenting Done done Right. (laughs) Parenting Done Right.
1: That's right, because you read books. So while all of those books sound fascinating, today we're going to talk about Songs of Insurrection, a Legends of Tavara story. Uh, in case you didn't know, dear listener, this is the first book in the Dragon Song saga. So where did you get the premise for this universe? How did you come up with the idea?
2: Well, I used to play Dungeons and Dragons like before it was cool. And I created yeah. a world when I was about 14 to 15 years old. And then I packed it away and left it alone for 25 years. I came back to it. And when I was cleaning out some of my stuff out of my mom's house and I was looking at this world and I was thinking, gosh, as a 14 year old, I didn't, you know, know Jack about anything. <laughs> didn't even know how gravity worked because the rivers were, some of the rivers were going uphill. Um, So I decided I was going to remake this world. So I took a week and just sort of drew new borders, uh, created new cultures, and it was just a fun exercise. And on the seventh day, I rested and realized <laughs> I wasn't going to play Dungeons and Dragons again. So instead, I decided I was going to write stories, and this was good because when I was a dungeon master, it's not like my players ever followed the script. No. What I found is <laughs> is that your characters often don't follow a script either. And it sounds very cliche, but it's true. as you come to know your characters more and more, then you realize that what you wanted them to do is something that they wouldn't have chosen to do themselves. So you would have to force them to do it through an external circumstance, or you have to find other, you have to just stitch the idea all altogether so oh, cool. once again this world started off with uh, with my Dungeons and Dragons world except my Dungeons and Dragons world was very Caucasian because that, you were talking about European fantasy that's what we saw back then Um, And so when I recreated this world, it was much more, it had a lot more cultures involved. And so when I started writing, I decided I was going to start with the Asian part of the world because I enjoyed watching like Japanese samurai dramas and and, uh, Chinese period dramas, especially the kung fu flicks, just love them. And so I started writing in the Asian part of the world. And so that's how the Dragon Song Saga came into being. Originally, it was supposed to be one book and just became four
1: so was that something you, you were taught from from a young age, your your Asian history, or is that something you taught yourself to write these books?
2: I was a we we say Twinkie or banana. I was yellow on the outside and white on the inside growing up. Um, I grew up in the South uh, at a time when there I could count the number of Asians in from sixth grade to high school on one hand, and so I was very much um, I was very much not into being Asian at all. But it was in college where I can, kind of became a born again, born again, Asian, let's say. And uh, the later I lived in Taiwan and that's where I was consuming most of my media. I was both in, I lived in Japan and Taiwan. And so uh, watched lots of Japanese TV and lots of uh, Chinese TV.
1: Okay. Um, that's one of the things that I like though, that, that we've got so many offers bringing, it doesn't even just have to be Asian. There's lots of European cultures that got ignored mm-hmm. too because they didn't fit the totally. English mold. And so it's always totally. neat. Um, I've seen some stuff coming out of Russian culture too. That's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So first, uh, normally we would just look at one cover, but I have to say when you gave us the run of all of your books and their covers, your art is amazing. How did you find your artists? Cause that is like some of the top tier art we've seen. Very means. And I would say I started with
2: deviant art and art station are probably, you know, where I found out most um, covers were a very expensive lesson for me because when I first started, I chose covers that didn't quite fit the genre. I didn't understand that readers are looking for cues when they see the genres. And so let me see if I can find the original Songs of Insurrection. Here it is. So this is the original cover of Songs of Insurrection and it screamed oh, nice YA cover. fantasy romance. Yeah. And so the readers, it got plenty of readers but most of them were disappointed that the heroine vanquished the dragon so instead of fall, fall fell in love with the dragon.
0: It really so. reminds me with of a manga, honestly. That, the, that original style. Yeah, it's so good and, art, it, though. It's beautiful oh, no, it's art,
2: art. it does not match the audience. So, basically the people who are picking it up were looking for a different type of story. And so that was sure. just expensive lesson number one. <laughs> Later, I actually... that The covers that are on now are not the, the ones that um, went up next. This was the second edition cover here.
1: Oh, okay, let me put it back in solo. Oops, no, this it. is
2: this is the current edition. Oh, sorry, hold on. Where is Oh, here it is. Oh, well, that's
1: glorious, too. Go. I like it.
2: So this, I'm trying to center it because it's mirror image here. Um, this was the the new version, and it got the right audience. But this is epic fantasy, clearly. I think it's clearly epic fantasy. And a lot of epic fantasy readers are kind of snobby about um, what they want to read. And so it was hard to get this one out of the gates. But then later when I created character-based um art then it started doing a lot better and i found that my audience is basically 30 year old plus women they're kind of like they make up the bulk of my my readership a lot of that probably fits almost every genre actually because women tend to be more readers than
0: this is
1: true all right so um uh, before we dig in i'm gonna put up on the art dear listener the cover let me make that a little bit bigger uh for the first book so how did you come up with uh, this particular cover, you talked about the iteration that gets you here. What made you take the leap and say, this is the, what I want as a cover?
2: Well, this particular artist, his name was Beam High, and he originally did my Scions of the Black Lotus covers. And then later, when I wanted to recreate the covers for Dragon Songs, I went back to him. So I like this idea of having... So in the first story, you have an Asian character who has a Western-style loot that's made from a dragon scale. And so I wanted to project, you know, to have her, perhaps, I cannot talk tonight, for her to have a dragon scale loot that shows that there is a magic coming out of it. And the magic is kind of like, it represents dragon, the fear of dragons. And so that's what I wanted to capture that with that particular
1: cover.
0: Okay. I, I love serious.
1: how you did the dragon on that. that and notice points because the colorblind guy can see the picture. <laughs>
2: <laughs> another version I got of this cover a long, long time ago when I was trying to choose those covers had another one where they had uh, they had this other character. It was a photo manipulated one where they had her looking down at a lute and there were flames coming off it. And that kind of reminded me of Jimi Hendrix lighting his guitar on fire. So I
0: kind of <laughs> like that,
2: but I decided not to go with it. <laughs>
0: I don't okay. think it would have fit the genre or the feel of what you're just describing. <laughs> so.
1: I really do like this, though. All right, Doc, next one is you. Try not to mess it up.
0: Oh, okay. great. So you uh, already gave us a 30-second elevator series pitch. So since it's only 30 seconds, can you give it to us again if they missed it?
2: Okay, for Songs of a Direction. It's about a young woman with a perfect voice to evoke the lost magic of dragon songs. She doesn't have a teacher. So she has to teach herself by observing other types of magic. There's also a secondary arc with ninja spies who are trying to uncover a plot against the throne and the arcs come together at the end.
0: Wonderful. Very good.
1: I've seen seasoned professionals not do as well. Oh
0: yeah.
2: I was at a, I was at a book fair two weeks ago and then another convention two weeks before that. So I've been saying that probably about, a thousand times, so I'm getting better and better at it.
0: <laughs> but that works. So, what is it that really you feel makes your story, "Songs of Insurrection," unique in the field of science, of uh, fantasy?
2: It is a mishmash of Eastern and Western fantasies. Even though a lot of the tropes, um, in terms of coming of age, lost magic, all those are common. But I think it's the setting, which is kind of a mishmash of Eastern and Western Western cultures.
0: So, what do you, tropes do? You feel that you really hit on the best with this.
2: I'm sorry, what was the question?
0: What tropes do you feel you hit the best with this, or uh, play with the most uniquely?
2: I'd say coming of age and coming of age and lost magic would be the two tropes that probably come out the most with this one.
1: Are there different tropes in the Asian um, tradition of storytelling that you brought in? Uh,
2: yes, there are things like, you know, one of the tropes in Western is like the sort of the hidden royal. Um, Asian trips will oftentimes be like a reincarnated hero. Um, they love the underdog in Asia. So, some guy who has some kind of disadvantage and, and rises up to become a hero.
0: I think so, yeah. that's also a very American thing. We love them in our culture here.
2: I think it's probably because, you know, just the same way we, we admire or we follow the, the British royals, kind of like we like this idea of hidden royalty. <laughs>
1: I never understood the American obsession with the British royalty. I just don't know. Me get it. either. We fought a war not to have to worry about them. Amen. Uh, Preach yeah. it. Say it one more time for the people in the back. I we fought a war so we wouldn't watching... have to face again. Oh, we broke down Uh-oh. Are you going to be okay?
0: No, I enjoyed watching the Royals, the e-drama that basically was so melodramatic. It was watching a soap opera. But I think that's why it is. It's just a soap opera that there's no real emotional entanglement for us in it. That works. I get it.
1: A lot of American writers' friends yeah. for sci-fi. Their government is always royalty. And, and I'm just like, you know, you would think they would do like a, a republic of some sort since that's what they live under. But no, nope, they always want a king. Well,
0: <laughs> it makes it easy politically to set up.
2: <laughs> so. Well, I think it's what it's what we've we've grown up on in standard fantasy and sci-fi.
0: You have oh, the yeah. emperor.
2: Yeah. Or the king. Yeah. So
0: yeah. So um, oh. I know Elvis will get to asking about the subgenre. So, what subgenres? Obviously, Asian fantasy. Um, though I, I know there's probably a specific term for it that I can't pronounce. And uh, but what other subgenres do you really feel this fits into? Like, would you call this a YA novel?
2: No, it's definitely in- at all fantasy.
0: Okay.
2: Yeah. And it's I would also say it's epic, basically epic fantasy. There are aspects of sword and sorcery. There's like political political conspiracy.
1: Yeah, stuff like that. Epic fantasy. Okay. Speaking of your your fantasy, does your fantasy <laughs> series tie into the sci-fi one you wrote, or are they separate universes?
2: So they are tied in. <laughs> That's kind of a secret, but now that there are people who have read both, um, the event well, the event in book four, Dragon Songs, is the inciting event on motivation.
1: Cool. All right. So it all ties together. So let's talk about the story itself. What can you tell us about the main character? What makes her special in the crowded field of science fiction and fantasy?
2: Well, the main character, Kaya, is, you know, okay, it's stereotypical. She's a princess, (laughs) but she's a very plain looking one. And she has a spark of magic, but she doesn't know it. She kind of, you know, she kind of feels it, but she doesn't know for sure. Um, And so she has a lot of insecurities, like, body image insecurities um sort of not not liking her place in the the world um, and what she's expected to do because all she wants to do she's been influenced by the mythical dragon singers and so i should also note that i just released a new book last week called the dragon charmer's apprentice which is about my the main character's hero um so anyway so kaya is sort of an uncertain individual, but she gains more confidence as the story and the series continue. And she always has a very straight moral compass because she's been influenced both by the stories of dragon singers and also the the books that talk about rulership. So similar to Chinese Confucian theory that a, a a just ruler will lead to prosperity, and so she has all these beliefs, and that oftentimes clashes with the political realities that that are happening in this particular world. So the secondary arc in the story is about Tian and Tia, and they are one is a half-elf, half-Asian, half-elf, because I thought that was kind of a cool idea, um, who is kind of a snarky snarky individual um, and that's why my, my reader she's like everyone loves her so much so she's very snarky and uh, she's just as like she has sharper wit as her blades and um, she and Tian who is kind of a Genius who cannot articulate. He's kind of like me. He has really deep ideas, but can't seem to articulate them. So he speaks in these really short sentences. Um, but if you read his internal narrative, it's like this blah, blah 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 blah. And then he's kind of like Sherlock Holmes, where he puts up like little notes and everything, and, and tries to connect things. But he does that for other people's benefits because he remembers, remembers it all. And so they are uncovering a plot um, against the emperor, and this is something which obviously entangles Kaya, the character, the main character, the main character.
1: That sounds intriguing. Uh, like I said, I'm going to be buying this, so don't spend all the money in one place, please. Um,
2: Slowbird romance and kind of a love trap, kind of.
1: So drama. could you elaborate more on what are those secondary characters? Do you have a favorite among them? Um, So I think Kaya was always, the main character was
2: always my favorite from the beginning. Um, she's kind of like a, uh, an archetype that you see a lot in Asian-style dramas. But over the years, I think as my readers have come to like Jia a lot. Uh, I think I've come to like her more. I've written more stories about her. She's essentially in all of my stories except for the sci-fi one. <laughs> and now the new Dragon Charmers Apprentice, she's not in that one either. But she's in most of my stories. <laughs> so I think she has become my favorite one. She's got a very snarky internal narrative, always has the right quip for the right time. If you go to my website, you'll see a book, Prelude to inter- er, inter- Interception, Watching Too Much Football. Sorry, Cleveland Browns fans. Uh, Prelude to Insurrection. It's a free book on my website and sort of a short story about how, you know, she uncovers this plot.
1: Cool. Is she going to get her own full series at some point?
2: I would say that the entire, all the books I write are about her, but she's not necessarily the main character (laughs) in them.
1: (laughs) That's fair. Um, So does the story have a bad guy that the uh, characters have to confront without giving away any spoilers?
2: There are lots of bad guys. (laughs) And girls, um, so yeah. Sometimes, sometimes the antagonist is a the situation. Um, there's also a city-sized dragon who tends to be an issue. Like for example, the dragon scale loot. The scale comes from that particular dragon. And book two, he's not too happy about his scale being used, and so it leads to confrontations. Um, there's also a lord who's trying to overthrow the emperor. He's kind of an ass, a jerk. Sorry, almost. We're talking about family friendly, so you can beep that out when it comes out. Um, and then, uh, yeah, there's a whole cast of of villains and, and not so nice people.
1: So would you say that having a dragon is essentially what makes a story a fantasy and not sci-fi?
2: No, I think that you can have dragons in fantasy and sci-fi as well. Dang
1: it. Thank you. I- I've been we've been having this discussion about Perrin since we started working together about three years ago. At this point, that it's clearly a fantasy novel because it has dragons, and she doesn't agree.
0: And you are clearly wrong.
2: I'm going to I'm going to side with Doc here. I think you can have dragons. I mean, what is sci-fi but, you know, different species? Who's to say there's not a species of dragons? So.
1: Doc, how much are you paying him? Can I afford I'll the watch. devil so he sides with me next time?
0: Nope. You can't afford that. Go sell some more books.
1: <laughs> all right, Doc, next one's on you.
0: Okay. Uh, speaking of all these wonderful characters, they met you in a back alley and they knew you were responsible for all the things that have happened to them. How do you think that would go for you? <laughs> Since they know I it. could
2: write more about them, I would hold that over their heads so they wouldn't do anything mean to me. <laughs> so you think your life is bad now? Well wait, just wait. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I already have these things and all I have to do is hit the publish button and your life will be hell.
0: <laughs> See there so. you go. Um so but basically, wait, the, I mean, a, you
2: have ninja, so, you know, torture. A fantasy
1: author, does that mean your sword addiction is now tax-deductible? Asking for a friend. Yes. <laughs>
2: well, actually, no. So, I'll, I have a martial arts school, so they're tax-deductible on that side.
1: <laughs> so, could you deduct them twice then, because the fantasy side, too?
2: Sadly, the IRS is not too happy about that.
1: Dang it. I'm trying here. I'm trying yeah, here. We're we we in trouble no.
0: <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so, JR loved it to make me ask this question, but what is your favorite character archetype?
2: My favorite archetype. I think I have way too many of that, but I think uh, the farm boy hero is probably number one because of Luke Skywalker. and
1: yes. Yeah, perfectly acceptable. Actually,
2: you know what? I like the other archetype is like the, the gender benders. Basically, um, people who you think would be male into being female or vice versa. That would be my second favorite okay, after Luke Skywalker, farm boy.
0: I think I always identified a lot with those, but then again, I work on that Boots, So,
1: yep. All right.
0: Okay. So this is this wonderful sausage was made question. So were there any cool scenes that you wrote that turns out you ended up not using, cause they just didn't fit with what you were doing at that moment, but you used them later for something else.
2: So actually, Songs of Insurrection is the last book in the three book series, uh, four book series that I wrote. And it was a scene that got tossed out and then became an entire book. So oh, wow. my entire book one is from a throwaway scene. So That's from, awesome. From book two, from what is now book
1: two.
0: <laughs> That's great. So that I mean, love
1: that. Does that mean you didn't publish that until the whole series was done? Like, oh, you no.
2: Basically, I wrote book two first, not knowing that was going to be book two. And I queried with some agents. I sent out queries to agents. And I did get feedback from some of them. You don't usually get feedback. But one of them was that there's too much time jumping in the first few chapters. And so they said, why don't you start it here? And I'm like, okay, I can start it there. But then what about all these other chapters? And so I went during a NaNoWriMo, which is you know November, where people try to write 50,000 words. I went and wrote an entire book around that first scene. And that just became Songs of Insurrection. Now that said, since that was my the fourth book I wrote, I have to say that I thought I knew more than I did. And I thought I could rope in, you know, people who like love at first sight stories, who like a little bit of romance, and I thought I could try to get a broader audience and not understanding niches as well. So I think that in the end I ended up losing a lot of epic fantasy readers because it kind of looks like like a love at first sight Mr. Love type of thing. It's not. <laughs> it's not, but um, it looks like that. Okay. I'm a big fan of the long game. So like L plus R equals J type of type of stuff.
0: Very cool.
1: You lost me when you started putting numbers in your math.
2: L plus R equals J, it's algebra, man.
1: I know.
0: Can't you do lost algebra. Me when you,
1: you lost me when you stopped putting numbers in your math. I'm just like, eh. <laughs> I will happen? admit
0: that the more letters that are in your math problems, the closer re- lo- ring of hell you have gone to. Um, unless you're doing chemistry.
1: Which is like the lowest level of hell.
0: It is not. It's wonderful. I love chemistry. JR is confused again. So we are going to move on to the next question to spare JR of his ignorance. Uh, <laughs> so what can you tell us about your universe? Um, you told us a bit. But can you give us more of like what to expect from this world that you've created? Are you going to other continents?
2: So there's only one continent on this entire world. Okay. And all the cultures are mashed together. And so, one of the things I like to look at is like one of the questions I ask myself is you know, China and Africa were not necessarily close in real life geographically, but what if they were? And what would their influences on each other's cultures be? But the main premise of this world is that once upon a time, the orcs, it's a mishmash of Eastern and Western fantasy, controlled all of the world and humans were slaves. And this is the Dragon Charmers Apprentice stories. Like, how do humans break away from? the orcs and start developing cultures of their own and uh while they were slaves to the orcs they built these pyramids and the pyramids are the centers where magic is the strongest and so much of this entire world is based upon the mystery of the pyramids and the types of magic that are involved and essentially there's one giant twist that's ready to be eventually be revealed
0: (laughs) okay well don't don't spoil it for us
2: but for this particular world, like each ethnic group has its own magic. So, for example, the Asian group people, their magic is manifested through artistic endeavor. Um, the the Greek the Greek version of, of um, the world they are they are manifested through rune magic. Um, the Roman people are more divining. Um, the Eastern Indians are martial magic, and uh, the Native Americans are shamanic magic. So basically, every culture has their own magic and so and they're very related to each other and that's probably another one of the big underlying parts of the story as well
1: so how did you decide to assign the, the magic to the culture did you just try to look at their own internal lore or did you go how, how'd you come up with that link
2: i tried not to tie things to internal lore at all because that opens up a huge can of worms it, it was oftentimes arbitrary by you know what i needed certain people to do <laughs> so yeah i didn't want to really go into like lore because yeah that yeah that's huge can of worms
1: yes it is i'm finding that out as my research for my own projects all right so songs of insurrection the legends of tavara story is clearly part of a series i know because it's says on amazon you told us and saw us all the pretty covers there are currently four books out in this main series uh but is the story done will there be more from these characters
2: yes so um there's also well, i was showing you crown of the sundered empire and master's of deception and each of those is a book one eventually for a whole for an eventual series and they all intersperse with each other so um book one and two of master's of deception take place between book one and two of songs of insurrection of the dragon song saga so all they intertwine with each other and each tells a different part of the world and a you know, a different story, but eventually it, comes, it all comes together and the characters, the main characters of each of the series make cameos, the other ones.
1: Okay, so we know that all, uh, every literary universe has its own internally consistent rules of science and magic. You talked a little bit about the magic, but what kind of technology can we expect from this world?
2: There's a, that's a little bit of a twist there as well. <laughs> I can't give away everything. But I mean, it's essentially um, flintlock level. So there are, it's to the point where people are still using swords, bows, crossbows. Um, there is paper, there's printing presses, uh, and there is gunpowder, but very rudimentary gunpowder weapons. Um, but then you also have like, high, well, tech, that's the t- technology side of things.
1: Was there more magic to cover that wouldn't give away than what you've already said? Well, actually,
0: I want to know which magic he would want to practice.
1: Ooh, good question.
2: There's, I think it would be the empathic magic, uh, which is like reading minds, planting suggestions.
0: So, would that be the more Roman one in your book series? But
2: that that would be the Eastern European one. I didn't mention that before. But that the Eastern European one would be empathic magic.
1: Is that because you like the Jedi?
2: (laughs) These are not the droids you're looking for.
1: <laughs> I knew he was good.
0: Well, that's awesome. Um, I always like to see where how the authors feel about some of their magic. And so we always I like to ask this one what magic from your universe would you take to use on a daily basis?
2: Once again, it would probably be the empathic magic. The ability to you, read have, mind.
0: you have a daughter in understanding. Young women can be confusing.
2: I have two teenage daughters. Oh God, <laughs> so, you're in hell. Yes. yes. Actually, go. one of the greatest compliments I get is that um, actually a lot of people went because I used JC. They didn't know if I was a man or a woman, and so a lot of people, if you read reviews, they say she is the author. I'm like yes. So apparently, I can do women halfway okay.
1: Well, I mean, you have subject matter experts in your house, so that helps. Does help? Yes. <laughs> they they
2: were teenagers. <laughs> they weren't teenagers when I was writing. So, but I had a wife.
1: <laughs> so, so how long ago did you write the first book? So, so 2010
2: is when I wrote book two. No, actually, I wrote book book three was the first book I ever wrote, and I wrote that in three weeks. We had lots of snowstorms, and so I basically wrote 150,000 words in three weeks.
1: Oh, good God! Yeah, your poor hands. And then
2: it sat there forever. And then, starting in 2013, I started to revise it. I, you know, got involved. With online critique groups, and I submitted a chapter, expecting people to say, "Oh, this is amazing," but then just got torn apart. And you know, a lesser man might have just thrown his hands up, but I was up for the challenge. When decided I had to learn how to write,
1: <laughs> he's so humble and modest. Everyone says so. It's my greatest
2: trait. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: I do think there's a level of thick skin that you need to do with uh, being an author at times, because it is oh,
2: definitely, definitely,
1: <laughs> it, it
0: is a challenge.
1: Yes, you've said you would have the, the mind control ability as your magic for daily use. So how would you abuse that in your daily life?
2: Once again, mind control is, 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 is yeah, yeah. Let's, planting suggestions. <laughs>
1: like this All is the, the you want to get me? Um,
2: you know, there, I, there, I would be probably using it like way too much. So there are limitations on the magic system, thank God, because <laughs> if I had it, I would definitely abuse it.
0: Uh, I think you'd sure. make sure that all the chores were done, right? I'm sorry? All the chores were done. No more nagging.
2: No, that's what my wife would want, and she'd use it on me.
1: <laughs> Ooh. I'm not touching that one. We're going to move on, Doc. Ask you about <laughs> aliens and fantasy creatures.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm a I'm smart man. So did you design any fantastical creatures for this series?
2: Hmm. No, no. I think I stuck to classical fantasy creatures. However, I, I'm very proud of two human races I have. One,
0: okay.
2: one is a group of warrior males. They're all male and they're basically cursed by um a god so that they can only have male offspring. And so they have to they have to mate with other human women and whatever their children are always this this race of human but they always look like their mother's race so if they this particular person might be this particular we call them volvians they might mate with a asian person so their offspring would look asian but if that particular offspring mated with a middle eastern person then they would end up being a middle eastern looking person but these are all like men they're all men and then the other race is their mortal enemies so these people consider themselves to be the descendants of the sun god's mortal son. So a lot of people thought of it as being kind of like a Jesus, Jesus messiah messianic figure, but that's not that's not what it is at all. And then their rivals are the chosen people of the sun god. So you see that in the Crown of the Thundered Empire. Some people think it's like like Jews versus Christians. It's like, No, it's not that at all. It's fantasy people. Uh, so the chosen people have longer lives and they're more they're healthier, um, they're slimmer. And uh, basically, there's a big. They have a big beef with the other race. So there are two races of humans that don't like each other because of dogma surrounding the sun god.
1: Okay, so since since you didn't create it for this universe, if you were gonna create your own. Uh creatures, aliens, whatever, do you think you would let nature inspire you? Would you touch into folklore that's out there and the monsters that already exist? How do you think you'd go about creating something like that?
2: You know, I think if I were going to go that direction, and actually I am going the direction I'm I'm writing a novel, which I plan to query to traditional publishers. And uh, I'm a very big fan of looking at like how species evolve, like in certain settings. And so for this particular world, there is a, like a, looks like a praying mantis, and they are invisible to their prey species. And so I kind of had to fit a lot of little things into there and they have their own culture that's, yeah. Anyway, yeah, so I try to sort of build from the ground up there with that.
0: Okay. Well, I'm sure JR hopes it gets picked up so we can have you back to talk about it.
1: I mean, I'm just thinking about like a swords and fantasy episode just so we can talk about swords and, and why not.
2: I'd but, love to talk about swords.
1: Outstanding. So uh, as this interview is clearly winding down, was there anything about uh, this series that you wanted to tell us that we didn't ask, specifically about Songs of Insurrection?
2: No, I think we covered it. <laughs> so.
1: Okay. So this is an ad hoc question, so you don't get a chance to prepare for it, but if you could live in this universe you created, would you? What era? <laughs> you, get <laughs> yeah. you get to pick.
2: Okay, yeah. In certain eras, I would love to live in that world. <laughs> in other eras, not so much. It's kind of like it's kind of like, you know, in in Lord. Well, so many fantasy stories are are driven around conflict, but there are times where there's you know times of peace. So people like say, would you want to live in the Game of Thrones world? I was like, hell no. <laughs> but there are times in, in Westeros where where you know things have been at peace. So why not? So yeah, oh, I'd no, I live in my you. world during a peaceful time. <laughs>
0: I would only live in Westeros in the spring. If you had plot armor, <laughs> yeah. and plot armor. Okay, that's a fair question. We, I have a know, mouth. I need plot armor.
1: Yeah, you get real sassy, um, but it's okay. So we ask that question normally when we're doing shorter interviews because it's fun. But I just, your world is different than anything we've interviewed before, so I thought it was kind of, kind of fun to toy with. Um, so are there? Yeah, any if I could t- travel, if
2: I could travel, in my world, I'd love it. So are oh. there any? Are there
1: any short stories that you've set in this world um, that are out there as well, or just the novels? There are
2: tons. Uh, so, once again, if you go to my website, you'll see Prelude to Insurrection, which is a, a short story. There's a short story at the end of the Dragon Song Saga, which tells a little bit more about um, the, yeah, the the half elf. Um, so, yeah, there are a lot of little short stories here and there. There's another one called Assassins of Brush and Blade, which is, leads into the Scions of the Black Lotus series. And uh, in Deep Magic, the, you know, Jeff Wheeler's magazine, the last one, I had a story in there called Dance of Swords.
1: Nice. All right, so we will link to your website uh, at the end in the show notes, dear listener, and you can probably find this bibliography and track down all the things. Uh, but before we before we let you go, dear listener, we would like to harken back to the olden days when we were still with sci-fi shenanigans and remind you that uh, as readers, I am sure as listeners of podcast, I'm sure you're readers as well. So if you would please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms, your reviews help the right readers find the right books. So we did our part to remind you. And legend has it that for every 100 reviews an author gets, he gets a free unicorn. Ooh. So, although, you know, I, I really just want the 100 because I want to know if unicorn steaks are as good as, you know, as the rumors have them to be. But Doc says that's cool, so I'm not supposed to tell you that. I, I,
2: I have like 800 reviews on Dragon Songs. And uh, I can tell you that depends on how well you cook, what part of the, you know, cut.
1: It's good to know. I appreciate that. It's all for science. So he wants to try some new recipes, so add a couple hundred more for him, dear listener. Alright, so J.C. Kong, how can listeners find you? And as usual, links will be in the show notes.
2: Uh, you can go to jckong.dragonstonepress.us for my website, or just look up J.C. Kong on Amazon.
1: Alright, and you can find us on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters tack and blades we're on the twitters at sf underscore fantasy underscore show sierra foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show it's almost like that sf means sci-fi you can email the show at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com again blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com send all hate mail to doc Saska at blasters and dot com i swear she'll only give you the nicest replies uh, you can find us on Facebook where all the shenanigans happen at facebook.com backslash groups, backslash Blasters and Blades podcast. Again, facebook.com backslash groups, backslash Blasters and Blades podcast. You can support the show over on anchor.fm backslash Blasters and Blades for as little as 99 cents a month on a reoccurring basis. Your contribution helped keep the lights on and the overhead. Uh, Cross covered. You can also support us on buymeacoffee.com backslash author JR Handley. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author JR Handley. And uh, if you put in the comment section for this podcast, I will make sure Doc Sasha <laughs> and Nick Garber drink. I will keep them duly intoxicated. They will drink until their liver surrenders.
0: Never surrender.
1: All right. So, one last question for the road since we're talking about booze, do you have booze in your universe? And if so, what kind? Because now I'm curious and thirsty.
2: So, every culture has booze. <laughs> so, in the Asian part, <laughs> the East Asian part of the world, you have um, rice wine. You have, in the Western parts of the world, you have like grape wine. Um, in another part of the world, you have a red wheat wine So, or red wheat beer. So, yeah,
1: of course. <laughs> Just making sure we cover the important part.
2: Yep. It's all determined by climate.
1: The energy yeah, will that's... take my blue cord if I didn't ask about the booze. It, it's true, it's in the rule book. Well,
2: if if you're familiar with Michael Fletcher, he just put out a tweet today. um, Or actually, yeah, it was a tweet, and it said if you have a certain type of wine, you're in high fantasy. If you have ale, you're in Grimdark. Anyway, he had a whole list. Look up Michael R. Fletcher. He had a great, great uh,
1: tweet today.
0: For science, you will have to try them all, Doc. There's a fusion place near me that makes a really great sake sangria.
1: (laughs) Again, people, we're we're killing our liver so that way you don't have to because we're doing it for you. All right, Doc. Bring us home.
0: So, so thank you for spending some of your precious time with us for the absentee Nick Garber, the adult JR Hanley. I'm Susca. This was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week where we indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, pineapple on pizza, all things that go boom, and whatever weird question JR has about booze.
1: Yes, booze is important. Pineapple doesn't belong on pizza. Now let's see if I can end it before